So as many of you know, I'm a professor at a university, and I was walking through the hallway at the university today and uh, ran into a colleague. We started chatting, and she pulls me into her office, and she says, I have to tell you something. She And I said, well, you know what? And she, she starts to cry and quite um, quite a lot. I don't know what's the great adjective for this. Um, not just tearing up, we'll, we'll say a, a medium amount of crying, we'll say. And she says to me that a former student had come to her as a friend. She's, she's friends with a former student. And the former student, uh, recently her, the, the former student's husband died uh, tragically recently. And the, uh, as I said, I'm not going to name any names, not because I think I, I have to, but just because I think it's a good idea in these situations. But the, the former student that uh, we both know, and, and as my colleague is telling me about, she, she says, you know, that she, her, her husband died tragically recently. And this former student is, is, you know, going through a really tough time right now. And, and then she says, but she told me that she listens to your podcast and that she, you know, likes it and she gets something out of it. So that really touched me. Um, I, I, you know, am terribly, terribly, if you're listening to this podcast right now, former student that I won't name, I am terribly, terribly sorry for your loss. I haven't talked with you since your loss and, I just want to tell you that um, I, I'm I'm writing a book right now about grief, and it's the biggest writing project I've ever embarked on. I think I might have mentioned that I was writing a book about grief years ago, and I'm still writing it. Uh, actually, I just have had time recently to start working on it again, and I'm just struck at how many of us are struggling with grief or experiencing grief at any given time. In a lot of ways, I've the more I think about it, the more research I read and, and just the more t- contemplation I, I do and the more people I talk to, the more I realize that all of us in all likelihood are grieving some sort of major loss at any given time. And to say you know, that grief is an experience is, is like saying, well, life is an experience. Especially the older you get, you are very likely, right now, you as a listener, you are probably experiencing grief of some sort, whether it's your, one of your parents died, or one of your beloved pets died, or you lost a job, or you had to move, or you suddenly became ill and you lost some ability. You have chronic pain now where you didn't before. Your, your child may have died. You um, may have, I don't know, did I say lose a job? <laughs> I think I said that. Um, you, you may have um, had, I don't know, just, there's so many different, or you may have a breakup, like a divorce. And all of these things are uh, highly affecting to us. And there's a notion in our society that 
you grieve for a short amount of time and then you're over it. And that is empirically just not true. I mean, for, for some people it is, and for some losses it is. But for many of us, grief is a lifelong process, particularly for some losses. And when my coworker was telling me about this former student that is friends with her and told her about the tragic loss of her husband recently and how uh, difficult of a time she's going through, obviously, I mean, of course you would, anyone would, I... I also, I knew this former student too, not extremely well, but I always saw her as a very tough person, a very independent uh, person. And I worried that she might not be getting the amount of support that she needs. Now, my colleague was assuring me that this former student is, uh, has a great support network around her. And I'm grateful for that. And if you're someone who's suffering from grief out there, make sure that you call upon people to help you. And if you're called upon to help, or you know someone near you who is experiencing a loss, assume they are grieving and assume that they want you to help. The thing that I just really wish I could change in our society is this this notion that um, we don't need to do any... We don't have ceremonies anymore. I mean, some people do. But for a lot of us, particularly us, you know, non-religious people in the, in the Pacific North, Northwest, there's, there's very little ceremony and there's very little opportunity for people to get together and express their feelings or thoughts about losses. People will... Uh, someone will die and the people that are close to that person are just kind of left to just suffer in isolation. And um, there are other kinds of losses that just get ignored. Like I said, pets or a divorce. Oftentimes people think of divorces as liberations or as something to try to put behind you. But for the vast majority of people, in my experience, they do not put those things behind them, even though they want to. And it's a, it's just a part of life. It's, it's a part of, of living sadness, sorrow, pain, um, longing for something, confusion, trying to figure out what your life means, what, 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 the meaning of life is after a significant loss. All these things are, are a part of it, and it, it lasts forever. And for some people, some losses can be really quite traumatic depending on how the loss was experienced. If you came upon the scene, you know, say your, your dad, uh, you don't hear from him and people are wondering what's up with him. And then you go to his apartment and you open the door and there he is. You find him, you know, he's been there dead for a couple of days. That scene and that experience can be traumatic and you can actually have PTSD symptoms afterwards or complicated grief afterwards because of the experience that, you know, that destabilizing scary experience of discovering something like that. Or if 
say your spouse goes into surgery and dies unexpectedly, that that suddenness of it where you're just not prepared. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that my grandmother passed away last week. She was 101 years old, Japanese-American woman. She was born in Washington and lived throughout the 20th century and into the 21st century. She was a, a tiny a little woman. Her name was Kazuko Honda, and her parents emigrated from Japan around 1900-ish, lived in Spokane, Washington, and she was a wonderful woman. She and I had, uh, I would say, a special relationship, particularly toward the end of her life, because as a I don't know, as a family therapist and also as just someone that really cares about this sort of thing, I've made it a point to interview her. I actually made like a two-hour documentary about her. I think I've posted some of it on the internet, on YouTube. And I just wanted to know more about the family history, and I just find it fascinating. You know, she she was in uh, America when World War II happened, her her brother was actually getting married the day of Pearl Harbor being bombed. And the day of the wedding, the FBI showed up at the reception and, uh, you know, imprisoned them essentially in the reception and took away some of the people to, to prison as suspected uh, spies, even though they weren't spies, they were just targeted because they were Japanese Americans and many of her friends and family went to the internment camps. Um, I've always found it funny that we call them camps. I, I, we should really just call them outdoor prisons because that's what they were. They were, they were prisons. They, the Japanese Americans were imprisoned, uh, unlawfully. Well, it was lawfully, but it was, um, immorally, I'll put it that way, unconstitutionally. People born in the United States being rounded up like cattle and put behind barbed wire for years in the freezing cold. And they lost their homes, their hotels. My family had hotels and farms in Yakima, which is in the mid-Washington state, and humiliated and uh, she lived through that. And that that's just one part of her story. You know, she, she lived through the depression. She lived through the fifties and the sixties and the seventies and the eighties and the nineties and the two thousands. I mean, the things that she's seen as an adult are just incredible. And I, uh, she, she died. And I have to say that since she turned 85 ish, I've been expecting her to pass away at some point. You know, of course, I didn't hope she passed away, but I was always thinking, well, you know, she's 85. She's getting up there. It could be soon. And she would have scares, you know, where she would go into the hospital and and then I'd be forced to think, I wonder if this is it. But every year that went by, she just kept trucking along. And there were, again, there were scares. They're like, oh, this, you know, everyone's coming to Spokane because we're thinking this is it. And then she'd bounce back and she'd live another 10 years after that. And so 
at her 101st birthday a couple months ago, I'm, I'm sitting with her and I'm just thinking, I don't think this woman is ever going to die. I think she is literally going to live forever. Now, my rational brain is like, that's ridiculous. But there was a part of me that was beginning to think that she actually was uh, invincible. And you'll hear stories about people living to be 120, that kind of thing. So I thought, well, she's made it to 101. You know, who knows? Maybe she'll make it to be 120 and I'll die before she does. <laughs> or something. And then when I found out that she had passed away from complications related to pneumonia, you know, she was frail and would frequently have these kinds of scares. And I think this one just for whatever reason, she decided to go. And I have to say, I was, I was shocked and I was, uh, that part of me that thought she was going to live forever was shocked and horrified and uh to to think about this planet not having her on it is bizarre you know i think that's always the the weirdest thing about death is that you know no matter what you believe they're now they're no longer accessible to us physically right and if you're an atheist they're just gone right and to think about her just not being here, not being on this planet is just a strange thing. Cause ever since I was born, she, she's been on this planet. She's, you know, the planet has existed with her on it. And now it's, it's, she's no longer on this planet. And that's just a bizarre thought, you know? And I don't think it's really hit me yet. The memorial it, it ha- isn't, um, hasn't happened yet. She, was uh, very well known in the Spokane community. And there is going to be a humongous memorial uh, scheduled for next month. And she, years ago, I think I looked it up. I think she asked me 15 years ago to sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow at her memorial. (laughs) I remember she says, oh, I really like that song somewhere. I, Kirk, I really want you to sing somewhere over the rainbow at my memorial. And I've been practicing this song for 15 years, literally every six months or so. Oh man, I got to make sure I nail that song. So, you know, I bust out the lyrics and practice it. It's kind of a complicated song, actually. There's a lot of different choices that you can make with it. And so, I, uh, I've been practicing this song for this gig for 15 years. And so, um, so that's my contribution. But anyway, the point is, is that all of us in all likelihood are grieving something. And I think so few of us are actually getting and asking for the support that we deserve when we have a loss, there's just so much. I mean, let me just, let me just tell you about like, uh, you know, a typical client of mine, not any particular one, but a typical client regarding say divorce. You've been married for 25 years and suddenly your husband or wife doesn't love you anymore and doesn't want to be with you. 
and you split up. And then now you're without that person. Well, you know, your, your friends will say, ah, you know, he or she, they're an asshole. Let's move on in life. Let's, let's get you, let's get you online dating. Let's, let's do a makeover and all that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's so much undoing that needs to be undone. There's so many feelings that need to be expressed and so many feelings that need to be validated. I I worked once with this one guy who was struggling for a long time with uh, a breakup that he went through. And we talked for months about his feelings and he did experience some relief over time, but he had serious bouts of depression where he would, it was just a classic, like in the movies where he would be in his apartment with the pizza boxes strewn around, hadn't shaved or showered in days. And, and so he would have bouts like that. And and he would come to me and he would say, Kirk, I, I don't understand. I can't stop thinking about her. I, I can't, I can't stop thinking about her. I, I, th- I feel like I'm a, I'm a humiliated. I'm a loser. There's something wrong with me. I'm never going to love again. And this isn't, you know, a 16 year old kid. This is a, an adult. This is a professional person. And I just kept telling him that what he's experiencing, although seemingly surprising to him because society doesn't talk about it, what he's experiencing is healthy and normal. If he didn't feel this way, there would be something wrong with him, right? He'd be a robot. When we attach ourselves to people and then we no longer have that person, our brain, our limbic system, if you will, cannot cope with the fact that that person is no longer there. We need those people. We are social, loving, attached animals. We are not independent. We thrive within attachment. And when those attachments are ripped away from us, it takes a tremendous psychic toll. And the other thing with him was that as time went on, it, it, it became clear that he really needed to talk to her. And he would ask his friends, he would say, you know, I, I have this urge to go talk to her and like figure out what happened. And I just want to, I don't know, I just have things I want to tell her and I want to know from her. And his friends are saying, don't do that. It's ridiculous. It's terrible. It's a terrible idea. Stop, you know. And I have to say at first I had that impulse too. I said, you know, that's what, what good is going to come out of that? But then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, why do I think that? This is often what I do with myself. I think, okay, what, what's the data to back up that thought? Because so many of our thoughts are based on cultural notions that have no data, right? And, you know, like notions such as you only grieve for a few months and then it's over. What's the da- What's the data? Well, I don't have any data on that. In fact, when you look up the data, it's actually different than that. So, you know, why do I think that he shouldn't go to her? Well, really, I think what it comes down to is I, I just, I'm, I'm worried about the unknown and I'm worried about my client being hurt by his ex. And so I, I just, for my sake, because I worry, I don't want him to do that. But I'm not him. 
he is him and he is suffering and he feels as though it would be healthy for him to reach out and actually have a conversation, even at the risk of it going poorly. And so we talked about it for a long time and he ended up doing it and it actually really helped him. He sat down with her and they hashed out a lot of things. It was ugly. It didn't, wasn't like all fun and games, but it facilitated his grief process. He got a lot of things off his chest. He got a lot of answers, a lot of questions answered. It it was extremely painful for him, but it was necessary. And it expelled energy that was building up that could really only be uh, let out by actually going back to the source of the loss and the source of the attachment. And this is something that I think is sometimes lost to us as a society. This idea that grief is not just, oh, I'm sad. I mean, it is sadness and missing somebody, but it's an active process. It's something that we we do. It's not something that we, you know, like when it's cold outside and I walk outside without a coat, the cold happens to me, right? I'm not a part of the cold. The weather is happening and I'm just experiencing it. Well, that's the way grief in my experience, that's the way grief is talked about in our American society. You experience a loss and grief just happens at you and you just, you're, you're passive in it. Well, it's just not the case. You are active with the attachment while you have it and you're active with the attachment when you don't have it. You you purposely express feelings. You purposely talk to people about the loss. You purposely remember it. That you know, you purposely reminisce about the loss. You purposely go back to the source of the loss. You talk to your ex and you say, "What the hell?" or "I'm sorry," or "I need you to apologize to me," or whatever. And uh, grief is active in that way. And for some people they don't have the energy to be active and sometimes they need to take a break. And so when I heard my colleague today tell me that, uh, you know, she's crying and she's telling me about this former student and her tragic loss about her husband dying suddenly, it, it just, it just hit me about how many of us are suffering from tremendous loss and how I I guess I, when I think about utopia, I think about, I just have this vision. I don't know if it's like a burning man vision or something where we're all sitting around in a, some sort of yurt, some sort of tent with pillows and, and everyone's just talking about their feelings and there's, you know, there could be drugs involved, I suppose, but that's not a part of the vision. The vision is just like people being able to, talk about their feelings. I, I was just listening to 99%, no, Invisibilia, Invisibilia, just the new season just started podcast. They're this wonderful, one of the best podcast episodes I ever heard. They were talking about how these oil rig, you know, in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, these oil platform guys, they would experience a lot of accidents. People would die or get hurt. And the, whole culture of these guys, often these are Southern, very traditionally masculine 
socialized masculine men, they don't express their feelings and they don't cry and they're very rigid and they're very, I don't know, militaristic or something. And this woman uh, did this intervention with them all and had them learn how to cry and learn how to express their feelings and learn how to ask for help. And it was really hard for these guys and they hated it at first. But what they found was as they learned to express their feelings and learn to cry and learn to listen and learn to be empathetic and learn to mourn, they had something like 85% less accidents because they were able to ask questions and they were able to be quote unquote vulnerable by saying, you know what? I don't know how to do this. Can you help me with that? Or, or, you know what? I need a break right now because I'm starting to lose it right now. They, they told this one story about how this one guy saw his friend and coworker just be, um, they described it how he was putting his foot on like a, some sort of valve and he was trying to turn it off or turn it on or something. And his foot got caught in it and then it opened up and it spun him around. He said something like 80 revolutions a second or something. And it like just destroyed this guy's body. I won't go into detail, but they, they go into detail on the podcast. And this, this friend of his is watching this and when uh, the th- violence stops, he's able to like go over to the body and he's holding this body as it's, you know, in the state that it's in. And his friend just died right in front of his eyes. And the way that it was, the way that the culture was in this oil rig before was he's just supposed to, he, they give him 15 minutes to kind of pull himself together and then he has to work again because time is money. And you you can't shut down the oil rig. Every second you shut it down, it's like tens of thousands of dollars that you're losing or something. And so they got they all got to start working again. And this is just barbaric, in my opinion. Now, it's easy for me to say because I don't work on an oil rig and I don't own one. But it's just this attitude of, well, you know, someone died and let's, it's illogical to stop. It's illogical to think. It's illogical to feel. It's quote unquote logical to um, stay productive. What's the point in stopping and thinking about it? You know, let's move forward. It's, it's similar. I've talked with people in the medical field where it's like this, where they will be working in the ER or something and someone will die right in front of them. And they're expected just to move on with their day because that's a part of the job. People die. But for, and for some people, when someone dies, it's, it doesn't get to them the way that it does with other losses, but sometimes it really does get to them and they, they need a break and they're not allowed it. And if they they ask for a break, sometimes they're, you know, called unprofessional or maybe they shouldn't be in this profession or something. Now, certainly there are uh, medical facilities that allow for that kind of space, emotional space. So it's not all, all places, but it's just this, I don't know, just this attitude of, I don't know, is this capitalism or something or just machismo? I don't know what it is, but it, it's, it's no good. It's no bueno for the brain. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's no bueno for the brain. Um, so what am I saying? I'm rambling, but I, I, 
I, if I could get you guys to do anything today, it's to really emphasize to someone that you love that you care about their loss, some loss that they've had. And if you've experienced a loss that you're still suffering from, that you really expand and open up to the possibilities of healing from that loss, the active things you can do, talking about it, journaling about it, an art project, adv- advocating. You know, if, if your you know, sister died of leukemia, um, you could advocate for leukemia science or something. Going back to the source, going to the graveyard. Um, if your boss fired you unfairly, going back to your boss and saying, I want to talk about this. I'm not going to sue you or anything, but I, I just I just have to get a few things off my chest and tell you that I, it was really hurtful what you did. And I need closure on this. Um, I've done that before. 20 years later, I did that once. And it, it definitely helped me. <laughs> so really just... Pay attention to these losses for yourself and for other people. I have a friend who her brother died in Afghanistan five years ago in the military. And it was interesting to be close to her and see how people reacted around her and the way she reacted to those people. She, she really discovered who were her friends and who were not her friends. And she discovered that some of her quote-unquote friends, whom she thought were not very close, she actually emerged from that loss considering them to be very close friends because they really paid attention to her grief and her her pain. There were people who didn't really pay attention. Now, they're not bad people. They care, probably, but they just, I don't know, they just don't know to pay attention. And so she was hurt by that and subsequently... Uh, distance herself from them because she was hurt. And there were people that would instead call her and just check in and really ask her how she's doing or, or send really thoughtful cards or letters or something really from the heart, right? Not just, uh, you know, cursory things. And I've talked about this before and sometimes it's awkward. You don't know what to say and you don't want to say the wrong thing, but my general advice is if your heart's in the right place and you put effort into it, and it's all about effort and not being afraid, right? If you, if, you're, if you don't know what to say and you don't want to be awkward, then just go to the person and say, I don't know what to say. I don't want to be awkward. <laughs> I feel like everything I'm going to say is going to be awkward. I, I don't know what to say. And I just want to tell you that I want to help or I feel bad for you. I, 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 don't, I don't know what to do. Um, you can say that it's, if if it's from the heart and all like and you know the person isn't a dick they'll they'll likely receive it well. It's not about saying the perfect thing. It's about being a good friend who attends to to them and who you know clearly cares on an ongoing basis, not just like once. That six months after the loss, a year after the loss, you ask them how they're doing about it. Do they want to talk about it? Do they not want to talk about it? You know, just all that kind of stuff. 
and supporting them when they decide to do things to continue the bond with them. My, my friend who lost her brother in Afghanistan wanted to get a tattoo, a big tattoo that had some words, poem, poetry that summed up her feelings about the loss of her brother. And it was interesting to see a lot of people's reaction because a lot of, a lot of people around her were telling her that she shouldn't get the tattoo. They thought the tattoo was like a terrible idea. And one person even came to me and said, can you tell her not to have the tattoo? Cause I think that's a terrible idea. <laughs> and I just thought, my God, even if it is a quote unquote terrible idea, this is what she wants to do. This, this is her grieving process. And okay, in 10 years, maybe she'll regret it. I doubt she'll regret it, but let's say she does. Well, this is her life. It's her choice. She's not 13. She's a grown woman. She should be able to make that choice. And why are you opposing it? And what is it to you? You know, like be more supportive here. <laughs> this is her path. She, she wants this. She has a lot of energy around this and it has a tremendous amount of meaning for her. And why would you stand in her way? So I just think that we could all do a little better for people around us. Well, that does it for this episode of Psychology in Seattle. I don't think I've introduced this show. I'm Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed therapist. That does it for the episode. Thanks for joining me. Please take care of yourself and other, and other people because we all deserve to grieve.